So, we're here. It's January and I'm sat in my office and it is snowing. <laughs> oh, you've got snow. We don't I have snow have down here. Snow. Have you got snow? No snow down here yet. Not White yet. clouds, but hopefully we'll see something snowing. Well, then you can have some of mine because it's laying quite thick and that's lovely and also problematic. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. But then it's not like we're allowed to go anywhere, is it? So maybe maybe the whole country could just have a massive dumping of snow and then, you know, that'll be something nice to do in the garden or outside for us all, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be good? Send it my way, Jess. I will try. Now, where are you, Sarah? Down in Oxfordshire. Where? Oh, are we allowed to say where in Oxfordshire? Because I grew up in Oxfordshire in a little yeah, bit, we a can town say called that. Okay, so I'm south probably directly south of, of Tame, actually, just below the Ridgeway. So we're in oh. Chilton and, yeah, really close to the Ridgeway. So Nice. Well, I, I grew up in the Chilton Hills, obviously, in that area. And so moving here to Lincolnshire on the flat fens is um, it's very different. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we should introduce you because you're just like a little voice now, aren't you? Nobody knows who you are yet. Well, they probably do because <laughs> they'd have read the thing, but... My special guest, special co-host, that means you get partly huge responsibility, Sarah. You also get partly the blame if people don't like it because you're co-host, right? And also you partly get, um, what else do you get as a host? That's really it, actually. I'm really sorry. There's no sponsorship. Hopefully there's going to be something fun like, you know, a mug or a pen or a a load of snow. You were going to send snow my way. so that's right. Co-host snow. (laughs) <laughs> that's what you get and I'm sorry because um, by the time it gets to you it's basically going to be a bottle of water right yeah funny. <laughs> so Sarah Uten how do you say your surname Sarah Uten uh, is what my grandmother kind of insisted on as I understand she was a bit bucket bouquet about it apparently because oh. Outen would make a lot of sense wouldn't it it would yes Uten and we we believe it's come across the water from Holland, Does it mean something? Um, oh, I should have something on the tip of my tongue to say, doesn't it? Yeah. Shouldn't I? Um, I? I like the fact it's got out, as in for like outside. Yes. Um, within the name of it. But I don't know what it means for sure, though. <laughs> oh. But but, and also, like it, it even works in a Scottish accent, doesn't it? Oot. Oot, exactly. And I've always fancied myself as a bit of a Scot. It should be like Makutan. Yeah. Just because I'm Scotland, <laughs> really. <laughs> Just because I love Scotland. Some of them yeah. work really well. McRose doesn't really work, does it? It sounds a bit rubbish. Just McRose. No, I think it does. You roll the R. I think. I, I really like that more, though. McCootin. I might have to change my name. Uh, <laughs> OK. <laughs> I, I have names for most of the birds in the garden. I'm sat now watching one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine great tits on like a branch that have obviously flown to come and get I have loads of nuts and seeds and stuff. And they've got here and gone, what the hell's this? <laughs> what is all of this snow? So I'm going to call that one on the very end because he looks nice. Uh, I'm going to call him um, Makutin. That's what I'm going to call him. Excellent stuff. Yeah, you've now got I a bird feel on it. You. That's grand. That's grand. <laughs> so, Sarah, thanks for joining me uh, here on January's podcast, January's episode of Roots, Wings and Other Things. Um, and it's quite nice to have a sort of guest co-host on the... Oh, no, hang on a minute. It's February's, isn't it? No, or is it January's? Where are we? Where the hell are we? It's January. <laughs> you, that is the bit that you take responsibility for. As co-host, I, I don't know. I, I leave that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I like how already we've got a delegation. Sometime in 2021, hopefully you'll hear our voices. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely January's. It's January's. Um, 
it just feels all over. I don't know what day of the week it is, let alone what month it is. Like already... I know. To think that um, to think that it's Thursday tomorrow, it's quite weird, isn't it? It's really? all... No, it's Thursday today. <laughs> I just thought I could see a few. Oh, my gosh. That's... <laughs> so the only reason I'm so confident about that is Wednesday is my day off. And yesterday uh-huh. I spent all day in the greenhouse, so I know it was nice. my day off. Um, what were you doing in the greenhouse? What fun things? Well, I had a ton of tidying up to do. So I stripped it out and tidied it and built two mm-hmm. new big stages so that I've got room for twi- four times as many plants. <laughs> That's good. And um, propagated a bit. Sorted mm-hmm. out a system. So I've got kind of like propagating area and a stock area. And um, oh, Sarah, it was amazing. So that good. is good. Anything yeah. with a bit of system in, I love it. And this right. is the time of the year for systemizing, isn't yeah. it? I'm a big systems fan. I'm really particular yeah. about that, actually. I'm quite efficient. I really like things in the right place. And I love mm-hmm. to review a system. I think, oh, I found a way that could mm-hmm. be slicker. And I can imagine you've got a lot of those. We'll talk about those in a second. So we should do that. Look at us rabbiting on. We should do the formal <laughs> intro, just in case you don't know who's, who Sarah McCutton <laughs> Sarah. Uten I know. Is. I have no idea who she is. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, we're all in trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. So, Sarah, I have you down here as adventurer, author, and donkey-owning, beekeeping, Sarah Ooten. That's that's how I was going to introduce you. Well, it's how I have introduced you now. You don't get much choice in it, do you? <laughs> no, I think that sounds good. All of those statements are, 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 are true. So, I want to start with one thing. Before we get to some of mm. the sexy stuff... As I said to you when we first logged on to Zoom after that little bit of clunky nightmare, I have never had an MBE on the podcast. I think I might never have another one. So How tell does it me feel? all about <laughs> being a member of the British Empire, Sarah. Oh, man. I have a very uneasy relationship with oh. um, with this. Well, you just said the word empire. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's what it means, the, though. It's not the, my fault. You con- got it. No, I know, I know. So um, the way that I dealt with it at the start was to be like, oh, it doesn't stand for that. It stands for Mars Bar Eater. Oh, um, I like it. And, do you know, I very nearly turned it down. But on grounds of um, it's connected to the idea of empire and um, just, I don't know, feeling like it's it feels kind of arbitrary. There's other people in my field who have done versions of or... or what feel like more worthy things and why was I why was I being given that thing but I was persuaded to accept it and actually right now um, I have intentions to send it back the only thing is I don't know where it is it's somewhere in my house and wow. I'm not sure where it is so you might want to edit this bit out but, no I um, do not I my... want to delve even deeper I feel like a therapist right <laughs> <laughs> that's my sense of it at the moment is that actually I don't want it I mean I I can accept that it's nice to have gone to the palace to shake the Queen's hand and and that someone had nominated me saying Sarah's done something lovely. But also, this is the thing, right? So the official title was for, um, let's see, for for services to rowing. Okay, fair enough. Charity. Okay, fair enough. And conservation. What? What? I mean, I fully support conservation. I donate to conservation charities. I love wildlife and all these things, but I cannot really say that that like <laughs> you might You're as well have MBE said and, material for conservation. <laughs> no, I mean they could have said like cooking or um, chocolate <laughs> chocolate button eating or being a great auntie. Like all of those things, I do more of than something legitimately for conservation. So. 
versions of all of those things fed into my discomfort with it. But more recently, especially, it's kind of just really crystallized on the um, on the empire bit. That wow. I don't, I don't okay. want to be a part of that. I have so many questions right now. Right. <laughs> so you've answered one. Did you meet the queen? Yes, she right. was really cute. All right. I'm a super queen fan, like of, mm-hmm. of both queens, Freddie and Liz. Right. I, mm-hmm. am, I love a queen. Imagine, imagine if those two could have like co-hosted a podcast together. That could be interesting. <laughs> what the hell? What has that just happened to my? Well, because you just said my brain is just gone. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I'm desperately trying to think what the heck that would be like if Queen Elizabeth II. What if they ever met each other? Things are gonna have to find it out. What now. would they talk about? <laughs> Freddie Mercury would be there probably arguing that he was a better queen than she was. Yes. He might be right, depending on your definition of queen as well. And she might just <laughs> she might just say, off with your head. Yeah, I can't um, I know, imagine I, that. I'd be interested though. So <clears throat> you met the queen and she was lovely, and that's really important to me because I think she's lovely. I'm never gonna get a chance to meet the queen in her lifetime, so or, or somewhat perhaps ironically and by default my lifetime but um uh, and I kind of feel like if I ever got some palatial award or royal endowment or something I'd be a bit like oh sort of feels like maybe a bit like going and getting Camilla presenting it to you be like well yeah I don't know if I'm that bothered it's the queen isn't it that makes it the thing right the queen but let's talk about this empire thing so I don't know the history of this MBE thing. So the point, you must know it because you've got one, right? So I'm mm-hmm. very disappointed you don't know where it is. I'd have it on all the time. I don't wear a dressing <laughs> gown, right? But I'd be on it. I'd start wearing a dressing gown. Mine would be everywhere. I'd have it all or a hat. I'd have it a hat with it right front and centre on there like a policeman's <laughs> badge. People say, what's that? Oh, it's an MBE. Um, <laughs> so, so it means member of the British Empire as opposed to OBE, which is... Order of the British Empire. By order of, isn't it, is the technical... Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. And member of... So OBE is a lesser MBE, or is MBE like the first one and then you become an OBE? I want to say MBE is the first one. I think that's like your entry ticket. Okay, all right. So that's your welcome to the palace, shake a hand, now get off. I think. And then your your OBE will be, you can now hang your coat up over there. And then your CBE is like, oh, you can leave your shoes as well. Oh. And and that's your armchair over there. Um, And then I think when you're a knight and you're a dame, although I always think a dame sounds a bit like a pantomime dame, so you might have to dress up in a pantomime outfit. No, I would Um, accept it. I think you're basically given a whole wing of the palace. (laughs) A whole wing. (laughs) I I think you've got illusions of grandeur, Sarah Uten. I think it's a bloody good job you're giving it back. Um, (laughs) so, So that's the history of the... Obviously, it relates to the British Empire being the ruling... Uh, country that... Colonising. Yes, yeah, colonising. can't yeah. speak very kindly about it. Really, no. I think it's a terrible... MBE doesn't relate to that, does it? It just inherits a bit of the title of E. So what they haven't done is, for example, you would you would argue, I guess, if it was called an MB, I don't know, K, member of the British Kingdom or something, then you'd be okay with that? <sighs> Oh, hang on, that would be Queendom. That doesn't make sense either, does it? Oh, this is interesting. I feel just we've got into... handing deep... over the Queen. <laughs> yeah, me too. Going round in circles. Just, uh, I, I just, I wonder if it just needs to be a whole new system of something. Okay. But then, 
I'm fascinated yeah, by know. the idea of people giving them back like that mm-hmm. is just because it's such a strong statement would you do it publicly or would you do it sort of like with a little I'm really sorry Liz thanks so much it was really nice to meet you would you like a contribution for the sandwiches here's this thing well, back and, and that's the thing as well isn't it because um what what's the reason for doing it publicly I mean for... if you're a bit of a bitch I suppose well that's the only reason that's the thing. you don't want to appear ungrateful and sure. so on and what well, i don't know what a but i just got to find the damn thing Sarah. first i know i just i mean i say i love a system i do love a system but if you could see the the sprawl of stuff that has sort of exploded over my um office floor in the last few days because there's been no time for systems in the last few days so Somewhere, hopefully, I have cleverly systemised where the MBE is we've, and I can one day find it. And, we've got all the time in the world at the minute. Why haven't you got any time to systemise your house? What have you been doing? This sounds exciting. Busy, what, what are you working busy. on? Busy. Many, many things. Many, many things. Um, so cryptic. I have... I have... I have an actual real-life job in a in an organisation where I have to turn up on time oh and schedule... Gosh. And so I know, which is my first, the first time I've had to do that for a long, 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 long time. But with lockdown, um, the first lockdown that happened last year, most of my work was cancelled. Sure. So um, we were supposed to be going over to Australia and New Zealand with our film home um, and lots of other sort of festival work and talks and things which obviously rely on a lot of people being in one place which is tricky when there's a pandemic so I set about doing as much sort of voluntary work as I could with some of the charities that I work with and a local talking newspaper and different kind of community groups around here and um, and so on and then doing some of my talky stuff online which has been great educational stuff but then I was still just feeling like I was really missing connection with people Mm. and that's interesting to me given that I have spent so much time solo because I thought well I'm fine being alone um but actually I yeah was realizing that I needed some more structure and routine and all of that so I'm working part-time as an autism support worker so yeah supporting people with autism it is challenging and rewarding and um stretches my kind of creativity sure and um it's yeah it's really wonderful so i do that alongside sort of talks and bits and pieces and i'm studying training to be a psychotherapist and then what type of psychotherapist i started studying franklin psychotherapy ah okay i'm doing integrative okay integrative contemporary psychotherapy okay so our model kind of takes in um, the idea that all the different versions of psychotherapy have their uses and definitely had their uses at the time. You know, they evolved in the context of the time that they emerged Um, and that now kind of bringing in all those different elements, um, you can kind of respond accordingly to to what the client needs by, yeah, kind of feels a bit like juggling and kind of conjuring. Wouldn't it be kind of ironic if you gave back your MBE for rowing and conservation and then you ended up getting another one for charity work or psychotherapy? (laughs) Imagine if you're like plagued by them forever or two. (laughs) Oh, can you imagine how pissed off you'd be if you ended up with two MBEs, like another two? Oh, for crying out. Do you like this one better than the last one? Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, oh, funny, who knows? And and ultimately, my goal is to be able to use that psychotherapy in an outdoor setting. 
you know, be really... Um, yes, and I'm going to touch on that in a second because uh, I know your sort of uh, aspiration or dream or whatever is to set up a sort of outdoor adventure sort of place. Um, but but let's tease that and we'll come to that in a second because you mentioned Solo and uh, let me just... I want to get all of the history stuff out of the way for a second just in case anybody has lived under a rock and doesn't know who you are because you were the first person to row solo across the Indian Ocean and also the Pacific Ocean. So I guess my first question, it was obviously quite a big argument with the other half because um, that's, that's quite a... <laughs> that's quite a significant... <laughs> Quite a significant <laughs> runaway. Um, what was the argument over? Was it like, was it the classic, you know, look, you just don't <laughs> cut carrots right? Or are you one of those people that put stuff in the dishwasher the wrong way around? What on earth well, inspired you to do it? Ah, this is interesting. Okay, so just on semantics, because there is, there, is, um, there is a bit of politics within this adventure world. Of the semantics being exactly so. So I was the first woman to row solo across the Indian Ocean. Okay. Um, rather than first person. And then across the Pacific, I was the first, oh, let's think, the first, oh God, it all just gets so semantic as well. So not the first person to row across the Pacific. It was like a specific part of the Pacific. Wow. From Japan to Alaska. Okay. No one had rode that particular route before. But anyway, where where did those things come from? Um, the first journey across the Indian Ocean in 2009. So I rode from Australia to Mauritius. Oh, and that lovely. was a If you're going to row anywhere, those are two beautiful places <laughs> to row between, aren't they? Aren't they just? <clears throat> aren't they just? So the idea came whilst I was at university. I was, uh, that was three years before that 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 time and I heard about ocean rowing through an email that had gone around the boat clubs and I loved rowing I loved oceans so to me it seemed like a really easy perfect exciting kind of equation of yeah I'm gonna do that in a couple of years and I thought I'd go with a team because why would you go by yourself and then a few months into that process my dad died really suddenly and I decided that I was gonna go solo um still seeking adventure and and so on on the one hand but now it had this greater significance of being a way that I was going to get myself through grief sure do something positive I hoped so that journey led to my round the world journey um where I rode and I cycled and I kayaked around the northern hemisphere uh so that included the pacific and the atlantic as the ocean legs um and and yeah, kayaking and cycling in between. So that was born out of the Indian Ocean sort of showing me that it was possible to live for months at a time in a rowing boat and showing me that I loved it. I mean, there were times when I found it really hard too, obviously, with massive storms or scary waves or being blown in the wrong direction. Um, But the wildlife, the kind of connection to... um, the world what was going on around me because you're in a tiny little boat so you're totally immersed in the waves and the weather and um to have a a kind of a 20 meter long whale cruise right by your boat such that if you leant over you could touch the back of it you know that is amazing incredible 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 so i thought well i'd like to see the other oceans and i'd like to meet people and with all the kind of naivety and um conviction of just having done the Indian Ocean and being that age, because I was 24 at that time, I said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And so I I went and did it. In, um started off in 2011. We thought it would take two and a half years, but it ended up taking 
four and a half, um, with so many twists and turns and ups and downs along the way. We're doing it like non-stop for four and a half years. That's what you did for four and a half years of your life. Well, it, I mean, the whole project was all of my life, yeah. Um, wow. It was all consuming. I, I came home twice. I was rescued from the Pacific Ocean in 2012 after a tropical storm damaged my boat. Wow. So I came home and I went back nine months later to have another go. And then on that crossing, that's where I rode from Japan to Alaska. I had been intending to row to Canada, but the weather was really poor that I made a route change. So again, I came home for a few months, um, excuse me, and then returned in the spring so that I could row, uh, kayak the Aleutian Islands and Alaskan Peninsula with my good wow. friend Christine Kigenwin. So overall it took, yeah, it took longer than we thought. And, um, well, I can only was... imagine that in this pandemic, this is like the complete antithesis. Isn't it? How on earth does somebody who's <sighs> rowed like bits of the world solo and kayaked and how, how on earth do you cope with like, you know, like for most of us, going to Tesco's on a Thursday is a bit of a big deal at the minute. So um, I mean, it totally is. I think there's there's lots of parallels, even though it's quite um, it's quite different. I think there's lots of parallels. Not sure I'm going to be up for an MBE for Tesco's. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I, know, I mean, it sounds like they give them out for all sorts now, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to the post office tomorrow morning. That'll be that'll be interesting. There's a big queue. That'll there now. take you up to a CBE, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so, but you know, there's out on the ocean, there's, there's so much that we can't control sure. in terms of weather and that really affects your progress and your mood and, and so on and your sense of safety. And similarly now, you know, there's, there's very little we can control apart from the fact we can control our immediate action and some sense of our reaction response to it. But I, I also hold that, um, you know, the emotional responses to life are not controllable. We don't, well, yeah, we don't want to control those. <clears throat> sure. So, and, and in terms of that lack of connection and, and solitude and isolation, um, that, yeah, that feels differently challenging this time. I coped with the isolation on the ocean very well, I guess because I still had connections back to people at home through email and phone and what have you yeah but also that it was I'd chosen to be out there and I had purpose and focus and amazing wildlife and all of these things whereas this challenge this storm this ocean of of covid has has been much more challenging I think because it hasn't been my choice um yes I think you're right and you know interesting I'd be interested to hear your take on this as well because um, obviously what we're seeing right now is an awful lot of people who are rebelling against the lockdown and the rules mm-hmm. and we've got <clears throat> ignoring the nonsense and the crazy ass like it doesn't exist people we'll just kind of ignore them they don't deserve anybody's time really mm-hmm. um, and the uh, yeah, anyway anti-maskers and stuff <clears throat> um, but the the people who are actively flouting the rules and uh, you know not social distancing not perhaps wearing masks in public and also of course the other end where they're going to parties and you know Mm -hmm. carrying on socializing um I can fully understand it I don't support it but from a behavioral perspective you know we were it's very difficult to continue to do something if you're not being motivated or inspired to do it so if you're not winning Mm -hmm. in some way even if they're incremental wins you know we need successive approximation towards the end goal that we're aiming for and so Mm -hmm. And also there, there is an awful lot to be said about um, sacrifice 
And, mm-hmm. you know, last year we all towed the line and we sacrificed a lot for a long time, actually, and then an extended amount of time. And now almost 12 months later, we're actually in no better place. In fact, we're arguably in a worse place than we were. Certainly um, clinically, we're in a worse place than, than we were last time. So it's, it's understandable that people would kick back and say, do you know what? I'm done now. Like I'd try, I've given up so much and it didn't work. Why should I give up any more? Um, and then there's that other little thread in there, which is really interesting to sort of observe people's behaviour in as much that you, there's only so much compromise you can ask somebody to make before they feel like they're making too much compromise. And what we've seen that's been demonstrated is that human contact and connection is so critically important mm-hmm. for us because we've been without it and we've got all these people saying, no, no, I, I really need that. I crave that. And of course, it's environmentally driven. So when you're on a boat in the ocean, mm. it's a very different environment. That is the environment that is that has been given to you. Whereas what we've got now is this environment that we know there should be people coming in and out of this environment. There should be, you know, this isn't what I know. Mm. Um, and so- then that sort of paradox almost of, well, the the more we can abide by those rules the quicker you get back to that connection sure isn't it? sure that's that, that thing and I don't know there's something worrying there in in that sense of when it comes to a kind of a wider issue but very connected issue of um, climate change and resource use and and people needing to really change their behavior in a way that um, doesn't feel good to them and doesn't feel like what they want to do but they're doing it for the kind of the greater good and impacts that they don't necessarily see the immediacy of, or, or maybe will never see a, a sort of a relatability to that. Um, that kind of worries me. You know, how then do we convince, convince um, you know, larger groups of people, everybody, society, to um, kind of join in and, and, and work towards that common goal if, if it isn't a common goal. Well, the ch- challenge always is that we habituate so quickly, don't we? We get used to the environment, we get used to the things around us. And so when you habituate very quickly because there's so little to get used to, you stay at home for a period of time. Okay, we've got used to that. The question sort of behaviourally is, well, now what? I'm used to that. I can't, you know, this isn't what I want all the time, but it's almost like you need to make subtle changes of different things that we can get used to. But... Um, which is sort of brings me on to, I guess, my next question. The thing I wanted to talk to you about today, because you don't strike me as the mm. sort of person that is quite okay about being a indoors or being sat at a desk for a long period of time. Um, certainly, the juxtaposition between <laughs> rowing solo from Japan to uh, where did you go? Japan to Alaska. Alaska. That's a pretty, pretty big distance to row. Um, uh, I once punted on the the river in oxford and my arms ached a lot by the end of that so um i can only imagine that you had a blister or two <laughs> yes exactly uh, and no strawberries and pims to uh well to but that's your own to. fault to be fair you did have places you could have put <laughs> yeah. them um so <laughs> can't really drag that up um <laughs> so so are you a gardener sarah Uten, or uh, do you just like being outside or what what's the deal with nature with you Oh man, I yeah, I need I need the outside. Okay. I, outside is a part of my inside, um, and that's where I feel most kind of connected and grounded and and rooted. And certainly through really difficult times, um, sure. where you know my 
mental capacity has cracked and I've, I've sort of been in depression and, and breakdown, um, the garden's become ever more important. So we moved here in 2013 and it's a new build property. So it was just a, like a, a patch of roughly green stuff. And I quite manically kind of took to the garden, you know, making beds and um, planting things and digging stuff up. And, and since the sort of phases since coming home and, and in those periods at home um, became such important spaces for, for growing and connecting and literally putting roots down. And now one of my favourite things is the fact that, you know, we've got a garden with fruit bushes that grow each year and we've got things we can eat and depending on how um, much planning I put into sort of growing the vegetables as well we'll have more or less <laughs> things that we can eat and that it's just a haven for wildlife too you know there's lots of nooks and crannies and piles of logs and all sorts of little a little um, bucket pond sunk into the back of the garden um, and if you sort of look over the fences at our neighbours' gardens, they're all quite manicured and quite smart and tidy. Yeah. Then ours is like this, just this little pocket of wilderness. Nice. Um, a pocket of can... wilderness. That sounds yeah, lovely. Yeah, it is. And we, you know, have fires, uh, you know, a little fire pit out there to sit round and gaze into the flames and hang out in the hammock or I'll work outside if I have to sit at a desk sometimes. I'll um, try and take that outside. And like you were mentioning all your all your birds we've got birds and creatures and and so on visiting so and yeah I how like big to is your garden Sarah because I like to talk to people about um the what they do with different spaces because some people have you know for whatever reason have got quite a lot of outside space or big gardens some people have just a little patch so what where are you are you small new build are you kind of big new build what how much how much of your garden is is space how what, what sort of size is it Oh, gosh. In terms of distance, I... Well, I... OK, I was thinking I don't know how big it is, but I actually do, if I think about it, because um, down the side of the boat, but but down the side of the house, before we didn't slip there, um, we've <laughs> got two kayaks. Now, the kayaks are five and a half metres long or so. So I imagine the garden is probably around about six or seven metres by six or seven metres. Okay. So it's not massive, but it's not the tiniest sure. that you can get in a new build. Yeah, that's it's a nice... Something like that. Nice patch of... Uh, and it's sort of rectangular, is it? Or square, or...? It's a bit of an odd shape. Okay. Um, I mean, well, it probably is... It probably is a kind of a slightly squashed rectangle because there's a, a garage that kind of pokes out into it. So yeah. It, it almost forms a, a kind of a wonky V shape. I yeah, yeah. Um, so at one end, we've got at the back of the garage, we've got um, compost bins and some trellis growing up with um, a cherry tree and uh, clematis. And then across the back, we've got ferns and logs um, and lots of nettles, um, an apple tree and a, um, a little, well, it's, it's quite a wide bucket, probably 80 centimetres across that I sunk into the ground and popped some water plants in oh fun um yeah so lots of bits and pieces going on in there and then off to the one side um we've got a big patch of raspberries and there'll be fennel and loads of herbs mixed in through the edges there um and a sort of pallets turned into uh planters and then uh, a bit of a veg patch and then down the one side black currants and blackberries it's a lot of eating things basically yeah um, it just goes to show that you bits. don't have to have an allotment or, or a separate veg patch or a separate 
herb garden or something, you can bundle all that together into a border, right? Because, I mean, you know, you've got yes. leaves, fruit, flowers all together. So they create colour and diversity and interest. Yeah. Definitely. And I, I don't have I much time for sitting and planning and, and working out. I'm more just, just to kind of, well, let's just see if this works and yeah. chuck it all together and see what happens and learn as I go along, which is quite fun. It's quite fun. It feels that... The garden's been quite forgiving of that as well. Well, they um, well there is though, right? I mean, that's the the sort of ju- incredible juxtaposition of of nature is that it's incredibly forgiving as it is aggressive. Um, sort of mm-hmm. on one hand, you know, as you would have seen actually, crikey, on the ocean, you know, Mother Nature is this unruling, mighty power and force, right? And so, and you see that probably most in wind and water, I would imagine. Um, because of how light it is to carry, you know. Um, uh, but then on the other hand, you can make mistakes with nature and it seems to be quite forgiving in some ways, you know, and particularly in our gardens, you know, if it doesn't work out, it'll come back and you can sort of, you know, fix it in a different mm-hmm. way. I'm hugely, like, in, I, honestly, I get like this little kind of like fizz inside when people talk about um, sort of playing in their garden and, and the idea of, oh, you know, it's a bit wild or... Um, and I love how unapologetic you are as well, because I think a lot of people are pressured to keep up with the Joneses because of this mm-hmm. Victorian hangover we've got of lawns being perfect and trees being mushroomed and manicured and everything looking beautiful when beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? It can be anything mm-hmm. you want it to be. Um, Definitely. And it's so full of wildlife in there too. I love that. Like the lawn is in the summer, it's this just wild mix of yeah. all sorts. I'm married to a farmer, so there's often bits of, you know, seed and um, she'll bring back uh, manure and stuff for the garden. Lovely. So goodness knows what kind of ends up blowing in and yeah. dandelions everywhere. Um, so it's just such a rich, yeah, it's, it's such a rich kind of diverse puzzle of life really i I was going to ask the outright question you know is is nature especially important to you and and clearly Mm. clearly it is Mm -hmm. um essential essential but where do you get there so when you go off to sort of row across an ocean Mm -hmm. where is the you know because i've been on a cruise ship a couple of times right i've worked on a cruise ship. just like that yeah i can imagine yeah Yeah. um so i know i mean i'm basically (laughs) i mean that that mbe is basically partly mine um i mean (laughs) i mean i can send it back to liz i'll just send it to you you can just apply to have the name change (laughs) (laughs) um so uh but my point is that i went to bed one night on the cruise ship we'd left some bit of land wherever it was and I woke up the next morning and we were in the middle of the ocean and 360 degrees there is nothing but sky Mm. and sea it's just horizon like there is and it was the most barren lifeless experience of my life I felt so even though on this massive ship I felt so incredibly vulnerable and Mm. insignificant and a bit scared, actually, because, you know, I've seen Jaws. So I thought, well, as you were talking about nature, I mean, that is a big juxtaposition to go from, you know, I love the birds and the wildlife and I like planting and I like the wilderness. and But then to spend months on end with, OK, yes, you are very much in nature. You probably can't be more in nature than you are immersed in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But... Mm. 
where do you get your do, do you not do you see the kind of juxtaposition I'm getting at that you kind of surely there's not much nature that you get to be in contact with doesn't that make you feel more isolated Mm, but I disagree. I mean, I think you just use the word. You're allowed to um, do that because you're a co-host. That's OK. <laughs> to describe your experience on the cruise ship of this 360 degree sea and sky, you said um, it was barren and lifeless. Yeah. And I felt scared and vulnerable. Um, so out on the ocean, I often felt scared. I, yeah, often felt vulnerable too. But in terms of it being barren and lifeless, I really disagree well I don't <laughs> I can't disagree that, that was your experience I I had a different experience and I wonder if maybe the the big difference there was on my tiny little boat six or seven meters long um I was right in the water you know I can hear the water I get chucked on by waves I get birds landing on the boat oh wow um, I have to launch tiny little petrels back off the boat into into the sea i get flying fish landing on the boat um dolphins squeaking around the boat and i can hear them whistling whereas on a cruise ship my sense is that you're so far removed from it you know you're, you're miles high and what have you um so i i definitely felt like i was it's a funny one i felt like i was a part of that environment yet equally i mean it was so clear every moment that I'm obviously a visitor and the wildlife sure. I was in contact with or, or observing um, was, you know, was designed to be there, not to evolve to be there. Um, and I, I loved that um, diversity, that range, that scope of everything from seeing tiny little plankton, seeing the water in places pink with krill or um, pulling out and looking through a little microscope, looking at tiny little um, bits of plankton and, and seeing jellies flopping along to, wow. you know, bigger, 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 bigger by degrees up to whales as long as swimming pools. Amazing. And sometimes it might feel like I didn't see much within a day. Sure. You know, I might see the odd bird in the distance or something. And, and on other days, I might be visited by the day I was visited by leatherback turtle, for example. I mean, that was wow. just like a... Um, uh, a dining room table coming through the water wow. towards me and then sinking beneath the boat and you know perhaps numerous sperm whales um wow out there in a herd or hearing hearing um humpback whales breaching you kind of hear the boom and then I'd look around to see where they huh. were and um so on. I even saw it you know this was one of the most curious things that I ever saw was as probably I was probably 600 miles south of the Aleutian Islands. And I woke up one morning because I heard something barking. And I was like, (laughs) what on earth is going to be barking 600 miles out to sea? And I stuck my head outside and there was a sea lion. There was a sea lion. They shouldn't be that far out to sea. He was obviously way off track. Um, Or you were. I like how it was his fault. He's nature. (laughs) And and it's his fault, right? I just know that they hang out on land and he's probably thinking, what's she doing out here? She normally hangs out on land. Yeah. These humanoids, what are they doing out here? So for me, the ocean is, um, huh, I mean, it's a very wild um, place full of, of life. And unfortunately, it is full of plastic too. Um, plastic. You saw that, again, did in you? That same in that same sort of array from tiny bits that, you know, picking up 
I picked up water samples on the Atlantic for an organisation looking at microplastics. And so even me picking up kind of a litre of water at a time from the surface of the water, from the surface of the ocean, um, later analysis showed that there were up to 40 bits of microplastic. Wow. That. So there's the, there's the plastic that I can't see and the stuff that's in sure. solution and, and fibres and so on. Right up to um, big fishing crates. That was probably the biggest thing that I saw. Everything else in between, toilet seats, bags, fishing gear. Wow. Um, uh, bottles and um, cutlery, you know, disposable, so-called disposable cutlery. Gosh, and so on. gosh. Um, so, yeah, full of plastic. And I think it's the, the current estimation is by 2050, there'll be more plastic in the oceans than fish. Isn't that frightening? 2050, that gosh. That terrifies me. That's yeah. less than 30 years. Yeah. And the ocean is huge. And the the biomass of fish in the ocean is huge. Sure. So we've we've done that's... that as well. That's the very sad thing about it. Um, and do you think it's too late for us to do anything about it, having been there then? I mean, is there, it sounds like that is a size of it's all very well kind of sweeping bits of plastic up and telling people not to throw stuff out but it sounds like there's already so much out there that how do you even begin to recover the damage that we've already done if you're you know in the middle of nowhere and you're seeing it mm-hmm. i i am certainly of the attitude that just because something is challenging and difficult and requires sacrifice or change in behaviors that it um that, that we shouldn't do it. Mm. So I'm, I'm definitely of the opinion that we can make useful changes and reduce, hopefully stop. I mean, that seems too hopeful, but certainly reduce um, kind of flow of plastic into the ocean. I think ultimately it's about changing our relationship with resource use and a sense of entitlement is, is what I see in a sense of connection somehow, because if people don't see that their behaviour has a knock-on impact, um, like I've I've got friends and family members who are well-educated people with the finances to be able to make um, environmentally sound choices around what they're using, how they're using it, sort of how they're behaving in terms of resource use and, and food and so on. And it saddens me that there's just a disconnection there like a, a kind of oh well it's just easier to do it this way or why why should I do it why you know um and so to extrapolate that up and and then um just look at the the consequences of that is frightening yeah frightening, sure frightening. I can understand it particularly when you've seen it firsthand like there you know mm-hmm. in the it's all very well us seeing it on telly in a river or something but you know that that almost it almost concerns me more that, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere in the ocean and it's there. You know, that's that's a special mm-hmm. expedition that's going to have to go out there and clean that stuff up. You know, it's all very well cleaning mm-hmm. the local river or cleaning the sea you know, <laughs> near your beach or something. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a little worrying. Here, I have a technical question, though, because okay. you said something and I thought, oh, I wonder how that happens. You said when I woke up, there was a barking noise. How does one, when you're on a solo expedition, how do you sleep because surely as you're sleeping, nobody's steering. So you're just floating mm. around, bobbing around like bed knobs and broomsticks. And you end up, you exactly know, in exactly that. totally off course. Yeah, exactly that. On the ocean rowing phases, I would um, need to sleep, obviously. And I generally try and sleep at night and 
row in the day, but sometimes that would be mixed up a bit as well, according to weather and what have you. Um, so there's a rudder on the boat. I had a, just a really simple system of rudder that I could lock to a certain angle. Um, and sometimes I could put out streams of rope behind one end of the boat that would just cause it to sit in a certain direction such that when waves hit into it, it would drag in a certain direction or be blown in a certain direction. But uh, equally the reverse, it's true, you know. So sometimes I might wake up and kind of go, great, yes, I've been travelling 30 miles in the right direction. That's brilliant. Um, but the reverse of that is waking up and going, oh, bum, I've been dragged backwards 50 miles or <laughs> something. Um, and there are there are different um, systems you can use with a sort of an autopilot and, and so on. But I didn't I didn't go for those. Something nice and simple. And nice and simple brings us, I suppose, nice and neatly to donkeys and bees, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Because I am very jealous that you have donkeys because I re- I've always wanted donkeys. And you can't really have one donkey, can you? Because they're very social. They're you a bit cannot. like reindeer. You need you more cannot. than one. Yeah. Um, how many donkeys do you have? We've got three donkeys. Oh, the doodle donks. Be still my beating heart. Yeah, the doodle donks. There's Doodles, Millie Mop, and Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, they're a little, they're a little herd. And did you delightful. did you get them all at the same time? Tell us about the donkeys. Where do they come from? Why have you got donkeys? Where do you keep them in your brand new new build? <laughs> Not in the kitchen, obviously. Ah, yes, that would be funny. We often think it would be really funny to bring them up here to the the yeah. house. Um, so we we're just coming up to our second anniversary of um, being guardians to these donkeys, and we got them from a lady who was looking to downsize her herd and we were keen to start a little herd. We thought that we'd start off with two donkeys, but when we went to visit, she was sort of like, well, these three are really lovely. <laughs> Choose which two you'd like. And I don't know, it didn't feel that we could Which go would home you like to two. separate, yes? I know, I know. So <laughs> she clearly I'm... had a background in sales. <laughs> <laughs> and gullible written across our foreheads. Uh, anyway, so we've got these three lovely donkeys and we came to um, be looking for donkeys in our life because I... Um, I was struggling with the effects of trauma after sort of expedition events in the expedition that had had been really traumatic sort of storms and, and certain other things at sea and I was working with a therapist at the time who said oh I think some equine therapy would be really good for you wow and so I worked with an equine therapist over a number of sessions and it was extraordinary how healing it was to be in this herd of, of horses and one donkey um, and how I was I sort of learned that um, being a herd animal and a prey animal um, their senses are so in tune with their environment and with each other sure and they reflect back and they discharge um, sort of nervous energy and so on right and so being in that space with them was um, hugely therapeutic and I convinced Lucy my wife uh, who is a farmer that we needed some donkeys in our life. That was an easy and... win then. <laughs> yeah, well, she wasn't convinced to start with. I had to work hard to convince her. Okay. Um, and then she came along to one of the sessions one day and just saw what it what it was to be with these um, these beings. And uh, she said yes. And so we, we got these donkeys without really knowing too much about what we're letting ourselves in for. And so we've, we feel like we've been on quite the journey this last couple of years. Sure. And it's just so special now to really feel like we're a little pack, we're a little tribe, the five yeah. of us, 
um and to go kind of off on little walks together um, marching around fields and so on and Um, and hopefully one day i'll use them as part of my therapy work as well sure sure yeah of course you've seen it firsthand that's very powerful so Mm -hmm. so do you have them like a donkey allotment or something some sort of Uh, so we've got them on the farm um there's a paddock on the farm that they share with some geese and some sheep and then um we've got a barn that we've um a bit of barn space that that's their kind of indoor space yeah and then we're very lucky we've got access to part of the farm that's um it's lovely hill it's a it's like a bronze age or an iron age really old basically formed so this hill has different layers to it oh wow Um, and it's just really interesting for the donkeys to be up there. Sure. And it's a public right of way as well. So they're really quite a hit with um, sort of people <laughs> within the village. You know, they post on Facebook. I've seen the doodle donks. Look, I've met the doodle donks today on my walk. So <laughs> in terms of varying their kind of location and hangout spots, um, we try and try and keep mixing it up for them. Sure. I love that you take them for a walk. That's amazing. Yeah. I have no, to be careful how loudly I say the W word. Oh, yes. I saw you looking down to your left. Is yes. this your, your black Labrador? Marley is there laying. Yes. Hello, it's, Marley. He's currently sleeping. He's just oh. repositioned himself. But if I say yes. the W word too loudly, this podcast will get ambushed. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. He's snoozing. I just wanted to make sure he, he hadn't been activated by the W word. <laughs> But all is okay. So, so you take sure. them for a stroll, a constitutional, a donkey constitutional. Yes. Yes. Um, or sometimes they take us. Yeah. Right. Right. And is that yeah. like with a like a halter? Do you call it? Yeah, we uh, head collar. Yeah, I think you can call it a halter as well. Um, yeah, they all have a head collar. Cute. If we're just on the farm, then we'll um, we'll generally just sort of let them go wild. Let them follow behind us, and they will kind of march along in a line and it's quite funny seeing the different personalities you know Millie always likes to be at the back um Doodles likes to be right behind your bum right and then Jimmy likes to think she's really adventurous and kind of goes off by herself but then she'll come running back if she can't see you or um adorable she's getting worried she's being left behind so adorable so you've got three donkeys one wife and how many bees Oh, quite a few bees. We've got two beehives okay. at the moment. Um, so, well, they started off as a colony of, of 10,000 bees or so in each hive in June, so six, seven months ago. Um, and I wonder what... I This is our first year of beekeeping, so I wonder oh, actually welcome. how many bees... Thank you. I wonder how many bees there'll be now in the hives, because I understand they'll have expanded rapidly over the summer. And then be shrinking Correct. as we speak, because the queen won't be laying. Um, well, they would then... have shrunk going into winter, not not as we speak. Okay, so now they're all just hanging out, taking care. They are all cuddled up together, keeping warm, is what they're doing. Oh, little yeah. bee house. I know, right? What to be a bee in the winter. Um, yes. And eating just... some of the honey that they've made to... I know, the, I know. Uh, so, yeah, up. we've got a few thousand bees as well. Cool. Um and, and are they at the farm or are they quite in your the wild journey. garden? No, they're at the farm. Okay. Um, I mean, up here on... So we live on a, a, a sort of new build estate and that would be, it'd be a great place to have bees on the one hand in uh-huh. terms of all the different gardens and so on. Sure. But I just feel our garden's not big enough and we're a okay. bit close to the other gardens. Okay. To, uh, yeah. it's, it's a very, them. very um, considerate uh, beekeeping uh a thought process to go through. I think there is yes. you know, the, the practicality is that yes, they'd be great anywhere, 
but the reality is that you do have to consider yes. other people's fears and uh, and and neighborly relationships as well as that that's it i think yeah neighbor keeping is is important too <laughs> it's much you more know? difficult i would imagine <laughs> yeah i'm out of touch sarah because i live on a farm there's like 300 acres of arable land around oh me. nice so i'm yeah. no good at neighbor keeping like when i have to yeah. move from here i'm gonna need to go on a course like because i i would be the worst neighbor <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, they're on the farm at the moment. And, so what made you um, get bees? Why, why beekeeping? Well, it's something I've been interested in, at least sort of on the outside of things um, forever. I, I, I think any um, getting a, a little world into any um, wildlife is, is interesting. And, sure. Um, certainly from a sort of pollination point of view and, and being able to provide a, a space to... to um, host these guys when they've got so many different threats from yeah. outside felt like a, a good thing and I love honey so hopefully we'll be that able to helps. have some honey from time to time as well um, and then so it all happened rather quickly at the beginning of lockdown with that sort of expanse of space opening up before me and, and going yeah why don't I just get bees now we've, we've kind of roughly sort of once <laughs> mentioned it before that we might get bees on the farm and then the next thing we knew we had two beehives and I was dressed you know in a, in a white suit figuring out the bees and I love um it. I, yeah I've loved it too um some people said oh haven't you done like a beekeeping course to to learn and, and get a mentor to to learn and do it slowly and I was like well no because covid couldn't yeah. really so here we are just learning um and there's that sense of trust somehow like the bees sure they know how to look after themselves yes um, yeah. um and I'm learning and and reading and so on along the way and so far they all they all seem to to be doing all right. Perfect, so, perfect. Yeah, it's really cool. So, is there anything that you've learned from your bees, from keeping bees? Is there anything sort of, you know, mm. that I don't know, <clears throat> is like a reflective piece? Because it's, I think it's something that's it's shown huge popularity in the last <laughs> few years. There's a huge number of people now growing bees and and being aware of how important the honeybee is, and actually all um, bees, um, mm-hmm. but. I'm always interested to know whether keeping them has affected you or changed you or made you think about something or just taught you something uh, in, in any way. Because I think that's the best way to reflect on any new journey with nature, isn't it? Is, is inwardly, does it change you in some way? Mm-hmm. I think there is that sense for me around trust that came with that. Because there were times during the year I worried, oh, have I done the right thing? Should I do it like this or do it like that? And actually just coming back to that sense of trust in the bees, I suppose. You know, they sure. are they are doing what they've been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting in the way a bit. You know, if, if, if we were doing it just naturally, then I wouldn't be there at all. And so, um, yeah, just trusting that. And I love how... Um, how calming I find it being with them I find it like a meditation to open up and see what's going on and there's there's something there about I mean sort of joining it back up to that idea of people struggling with the idea of um, giving up certain things or or having restrictions in this time of Covid Um, you you look at bees and, and how it's all about the kind of the greater good how do we keep this colony going yeah I mean I know that's not directly what they're thinking because they're not going to be thinking about it but their roles are all all designed around how do we how do we keep this going mm-hmm. what do we do for each other the sort of the the sacrifices that come with that as their roles um 
you know, living for a few weeks at a time after yeah. just worked really hard and, and so on. I, yeah, there's something really, what's the word? Um, really powerful about that yes. as a metaphor, you know, what, what we can achieve when we work together. Yeah, um, I think there's an awful complex, lot we can take from yeah. <clears throat> from honeybees. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, I'm super pleased that you're enjoying it. Um, uh, so if you've only done it a year, so you haven't had any honey yet, presumably? No, we haven't had any honey. So um, next year I had be your the first tiniest honey. little bits um, <laughs> just whilst I was, you know, scraping extra yeah, wax yeah, off out yeah. of the way. And we did make, out of out of some of the this, this sort of bits of wax scrapings, um, I loved how differently coloured they all were, these sort of dark browns through to kind of... Yeah, depending on how really old it is. golden. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is for. I didn't realise it was about the age. Um, yeah. But I melted it all down and, and um, we broke open some walnuts and made little walnut wishes out of them. So we put little candle wicks in. Oh, um, cute. And then become little floating candles. And to have that smell of the hive yeah, is right. just divine. Um, and I've, I've tasted the honey just, you know, whilst I've been um, working bits and pieces in there. So I'm, I'm really excited this year about... Hopefully, hopefully having a bit and sharing a bit with friends. How but leaving lovely. leaving the bees with plenty. So yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's, of so course, that's the interesting misconception, or that's not misconception, but um, <clears throat> the bit of information that a lot of people miss is that's the only reason bees or honeybees make honey is to food for the winter. Uh, yes. They don't make it just because they can. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, when you take excess honey, because uh, obviously you engineer it so that, that you capitalize on their ability to make or fill whatever space you give them so you give mm-hmm. them tons of space more space than they're going to need for to survive as a colony and then you you know that's normally how commercial honey is made you take that excess honey if you like um uh, and so right now they're eating all of their lovely honey so it's really nice mm-hmm. as a beekeeper particularly as a new beekeeper to hear you know your understanding of that of you know we'll take the, the excess you know more honey the honey they don't need hopefully we get to share some of that next year um Definitely. and i'm a big believer of it's probably the same for all any livestock farming actually is that the respect mm-hmm. that you offer to the animal you'll get returned tenfold in temperament and reduction in stress and it and if there is a crop that you're taking from them it will be a better crop because you've yes. given them the ability to live their life in the way that they're supposed to um so listen um we i could talk about that all day right (laughs) but we have a regular feature sarah which you'll know because i know you're a huge fan of the podcast um we have um book of the month and album of the month and i am a page and a bit away which i know sounds like i'm eking it out for as long as possible or i'm just very bad at time management but i read it (laughs) um uh, a little bit every morning i'm a page and a half away from finishing an incredible book which has absolutely changed the way I think about uh, mm. addiction and illegal drug use. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was brought up as a, you must never take drugs because you'll turn into an addict and it will ch- yes. you know, ruin the world and all the rest of it. Um, and I've never taken drugs. And during my time with the ambulance service has shown me some pretty horrific outcomes of, of, of substance use. Um, however, this has is the most eyebrow-raising, insightful book I think I've ever read. It is phenomenal. It's by um, Johan Hari. Mm, I wondered if it would be. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. I've recommended before um, Lost Connections, which is mm-hmm. just the most beautiful book. It's a, it's an, Again, that's a pretty eye-opening book in terms of groundbreaking exposure of antidepressants and SSRIs and uh, mental health and whatever. Um, 
but he is just the most remarkable investigative author that he presents this stuff that's been squirreled away by history. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of um, uh, Chasing the Scream, which is this book, um, sort of blowing open the secret world of how the drug war began and why we have this war. And it's all down to just one guy and mm. uh, and this very powerful man in America who influenced the entire world's war on drugs um, and this kind of prohibition, I guess, on, on illegal drugs. Um, and my word, the arguments are almost flawless um, to the to the point that we have this totally wrong. And I love books like that, where it kind of just changes your world. There's no better feeling in life than being wrong. I just mm-hmm. such a lovely experience to think, gosh, all of that stuff that I'd thought, put my belief systems or my values on, it, to have that shaken is a lovely experience because you think, wow, there's more. It opens up like a whole other area of life that you didn't know about. And I can imagine that's... I'm stealing a, a simile and a metaphor that may be entirely <laughs> wrong, but I'm projecting it on you absolutely. So do push back. But I'd imagine that's a bit like that's how I can imagine it would be, like rowing the ocean or something like that. Because mm-hmm. you just it's like a whole new world you kind of knew it existed, is a but whole new world. didn't know. It is a whole new world. We oh, can't I look sing the song though, Sarah, because um, uh, Peter Andre and Katie Price ruined that for me. Oh, yes. Okay. That was horrific. I mean, like the original one, we can sing that, you know, whole new world. But not the new, they're just, the song's been ruined. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So that's my book of the month. So have you heard of it or read it? Um, I haven't read those books, but I've seen TEDx talks, TEDx talks by him and and his work referenced. And so a lot around um, addiction and connection and and mental health. Um, Phenomenal. I can't recommend them highly enough. Excellent. 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 Next time you're rowing around the world (laughs) and you need a light read. Okay. That's the one. Um, So do you have an album of the month or indeed a book of the month or indeed both, Sarah? Have you got any you'd like to contribute? So my book of the month is going to be um, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox (gasps) and The Horse by Charlie Maxey. I love this book so much. I've gifted that. I think I've bought about 14 copies of that book. I think I'm somewhere in the same region as you. Isn't it beautiful? It feels to me like it sits, for me, it sits alongside Winnie the Pooh. Yes. With um, the sort of masterful illustration. Yes. Gentle, wise, funny um, words that just speak right to your soul isn't he um, just the most fantastically skillful person charlie mackesy yes. i mean just i mean what an incredible talent indeed 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 i've and read then, it several times as well that book have you gone back to it oh yes definitely and there's a beautiful um there's a beautiful audio version on um bbc sounds at the moment so they played it on i think the 21st of december and new year's day and it's Charlie reading the, the book. Yes. Um, and it's just wonderful. So have a listen to that as well. And then my album of the month would be, I'm just trying to think of the name of it. So Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris. So Jackie Morris is a brilliant uh, artist and illustrator. And Robert McFarland is a, a wizard of words. <coughs> Excuse me. 
poet and wise man. And so a few years ago, they created uh, the Lost Words, which was these lost spells conjuring up words of nature that had been lost from kind of use and um, specifically had been dropped from the children's Oxford English Dictionary. So the first book that came out, The Lost Words, was um, this exquisite book of spells and um, uh, lovely artwork. And then they went on to work with some uh, brilliant musicians and, and singers to create, I think it's called the I no maybe it is called the lost words as the CD I think it is called that as the CD okay. so you might have to fill in the gaps there of what it's called yes um, but it's it's sung versions of these words and they are just beautiful again stuff that uh, kind of goes right to your soul and, and conjures up the the world in which these animals live in and the sense of them so for example um, the one that comes to mind is um, about the skylark. So little astronaut and the words are little astronaut. Where have you gone? How is your soul still um, still uh, something on you know, higher and higher up into dis- deep space and just oh, just beautiful. Oh, the starlings like the rooftop rip rap street song of starling or something. Just uh, such really clever word. You might want to cut all of that out because I haven't <laughs> described it very well. But, it sounds really um, unusual. No, it sounds intriguing enough for me to want to go and find what this is. And, and Oh, you'll love it. Yeah, the lost words and the lost spells. Oh, maybe it's called Spell Songs. It's called Spell Songs. I mean, look, don't come on I'm to my sure. podcast as a co-host and not know what... <laughs> the, I mean, you're just throwing random <laughs> stuff out now. I mean, it could be called a lot of things, Sarah, but what we need is a bit more direction. <laughs> Who's it by? Robert McFarlane right. and Jackie Morris. Okay, um, right. Start there with the lost we'll do words. The rest. And then, then you'll go to the rest. That's, <laughs> that's it. But you will not be, uh, you'll not be disappointed. Um, well, I shall look for those. Thank you. Um, now, uh, just to sort of sum up, <clears throat> I should slot in here that we, um, I decided at the beginning of series uh, two that I would allow listeners to make donations uh, to the podcast. Um hmm. For us to, uh, or for us, for me, to donate <laughs> a bit of that money to community garden projects. Um, so amazing. I'm going to see how much we get in, in in a year, or maybe sort of by the summer when those sorts mm-hmm. of projects are likely to be up and running. And then I'm going to sort of divvy it out a little bit. Um, and some people have donated some lovely amounts. So if you've enjoyed series one with Adam Frost and series two with my co-host so far. Um, you can donate uh, and it's the equivalent of buying a coffee. This gets really complicated. Like I get whoever came up with the idea of Ko-Fee. So it's K-O hyphen F-I, right, dot com. So that's like a like a platform you can donate money to creatives, right? So I get it. Somebody thought, oh, it's like buying a coffee because K-O-F-I sort of, I suppose, sounds like coffee. But because you've got a hyphen in the middle of it, it's co hyphen fee so it's not really coffee and i get how it sounds like coffee but the idea is you know you could just donate like a dollar or a pound so it's like the equivalent of buying a coffee but i don't drink coffee but any coffee i've seen has been like at least three quid because they're really expensive so the whole thing becomes really quite so basically i should have gone with paypal is what i'm saying right but i didn't i went with coffee so and you said my spell songs was confusing <laughs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> so really i should have either hung out for a sponsor 
but I didn't want to try to sell my soul to have to go, oh, you should definitely buy this thing every month. So instead, I've said you can go to www.ko-fi.com forward slash roots. So ko-fi.com forward slash roots and donate the amount of a coffee. Like if you liked each one, you could pay a pound. That's only £12 for the last series. If you liked one more than the other, you could pay a bit more, whatever. And I'll donate a load to a, a charity project. Uh, and then the rest helps people like me out who currently don't have any <laughs> or very little paid work, uh, but allows us also to stupid little things like buying a microphone and people don't realise that, you know, you have to pay for this stuff to exist in the world and all that kind of jazz. So so you giggled about a mug earlier on. There might actually be a Roots, Wings and Other Things podcast mug on its way for you Happy to buy. Days. And I'm going to give all the money me. to charity because um, I don't want loads of mugs clogging up my shed. Uh, <laughs> um, so here's the final thing what are you doing outside this January Sarah Ooten what are you doing adventurer explorer seal lover <clears throat> beekeeper donkey whisperer what are you doing this January outside well I'm running and I'm cycling and I'm walking with the donkeys I'm going to get out for my first camp of the year and sleep Ooh. outside um, I've been swimming in the lake already. Horrific. Uh, there's a local lake to us, so I'll, I'll hopefully get in the river as well. Presumably, soon. it's not heated. Um, it's not heated. No, it's ridiculous. not heated. You mad people. Uh, so that's yeah, that's really what I'm doing outside at the moment. Is a bit right. of all of that. Um, okay. I haven't. I I should probably do a little bit in the garden as well. Um, I suppose that's the joy of having a wild garden is that you can just leave it and just go in with yeah. a machete or something as it starts to warm up a bit. That's the thing. I think once once we get a little bit later in the year, then I'll start getting stuff ready for planting and so yeah. on. I'm a bit and of a tidy idea. But right now, I like the idea that everything's, you know, creatures are hiding out and keeping cosy underneath. And, uh, and as it should, because, of course, that's the interesting thing. I tend to encourage people about wild areas in their garden because a lot of the planted beds that I've got here at the farm are kind of pretty bare. Everything's been cut right back, so you can see an awful lot of, you know, soil a um, mm -hmm. few little bits kind of sprouting through and I tried to mix it to put some sort of evergreen stuff in there so there's some sort of interest but a lot of the established borders are pretty bare whereas the wild borders and, and the hedgerow, the wild hedgerow they're teeming with life and colour and mm -hmm. movement and uh, and greenery so yeah, no, good good call on that can we just very quickly go back to camping outside in January, Sarah? I feel like we mm -hmm. can't close the podcast out without <laughs> saying, uh, as my cool friends would say, WTF so why are you camping outside in January? Well, why wouldn't you camp outside in January? With the right gear, well, it's as warm <laughs> as, as any asked. other time of the year. <laughs> no, I, um, I love camping. I love sleeping outside. Yep. And so um, I just want to... Is it kind of there. the connection with being, again, like closer to nature and outdoors and that kind of slightly mm -hmm. more sort of, you know, realness or rawness of being outside? What is it? Oh, it's just... I don't even know how to sum it up. It's a connection. There's something about sure. connection to myself and, and the world when yeah. I'm sleeping out. Yeah. Well, I think if there has ever been, my dog is uh, barking now to be connected to the outside, as you yeah. can possibly hear. <laughs> He'd quite like to be connected to the lawn, I think. Um, yes. <laughs> which is a perfect time to wrap up, because if there's anybody that we've had on the podcast that seems more connected to nature and the natural world that has been untouched by humans, although arguably you have, of course, mentioned that you did see how the far reaching impact of plastic pollution has reached places that even we didn't know about. I think it is probably you. So Sarah Uden, with or without an MBE, it's been a joy and a delight to have you as a co-host. Have you enjoyed your time on Roots, Wings and Other Things? 
I very much have. Thank Good. you, Jess. Well, it's yeah, been lovely I'm having you. Well, listen, um, uh, stick around for uh, for more. If people want to know more about you, they're because you've got your own books. I'm very pleased that humbly you decided you didn't want to have your own books uh, uh, promoted on the podcast. Um, but if you did, uh, where can people find out more about you and where can people um, connect with you? So my website, sarahouton.com, or actually the best one is sarahoutonhome.com because then you can find links to our film, Home, and you can see books there as well dare to do is the latest one that sounds absolutely perfect well we will join you all there sarah it's been a joy and a privilege thank you so much indeed it's all that is left now is for you to say to uh, say goodbye to everybody goodbye everybody thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you again next month gang take care bye-bye <laughs> <laughs>